Welcome to the Grow to Gold podcast. On today's episode, we have Riley Traveler, CEO and founder of Boundless Energy. Riley's been in the solar industry for nearly the last decade, has an awesome reputation. And what I think is most exciting about him is during the pandemic, took a huge risk, started his own solar company, linked up with some of his best friends to do it. And within four months, hit that 500 plus sales mark, which I don't think too many companies in this industry have ever accomplished. So really exciting stuff and super excited to introduce Riley to the Grow to Gold community. So Riley, how are you doing today, my friend? I'm doing great, man. Yep, better than ever. I'm excited to have you on. So let's start at the beginning like we normally do with these. So give us an idea. Where'd you grow up? What's your, what's your early story? Oh man, uh, I'm a kid from a small town in Idaho. Um, Twin Falls, Idaho, for those uh, that don't know, it's a, I think population's like 30, 40,000. Um, Idaho doesn't have a lot of big towns or big cities. You know, you got Boise and that's pretty much it. So um, I grew up there. I got, I got an older brother who's, he was, you know, the, the smartest one and one of the smartest people in his class growing up. You know, I always looked up to him. He was good at sports. He was good at school. He was good at everything. So uh, I had him kind of pave the way for me. I got two younger sisters. Um, and yeah, I got, I got uh, phenomenal parents and I just, I honestly, I come from a good family. My, I got great grandparents, uncles and aunts and cousins, just a lot of really good people that I grew up around. So I'm really blessed uh, in that way, I would say. So, yeah, but I mean, yeah, just a, just a kid from Idaho, um, trying to work hard and find my way in the world, you know? Yeah, for sure. So what brings you, so how the heck did you get into sales? How do, how do you, how do you go from a kid in Idaho to now in the solar industry? What, you know, bridge that gap for us. What, what was your first, what was your first lick at sales? Um, I think you know, my first lick at sales was, so I sold alarms in college, but prior to that, uh, my older brother, he got, he did like an internship with uh, college works painting. And there's like a bunch, there's like a bunch of these like painting companies, you know, they hire college kids. There's like college pro painters. And, um, so he did that and started his own painting company. And so I started working with him in the summer and really my job was, I kind of was like a, a, mar a setter basically for him. So he would be giving people quotes to paint their home and we would just drive around, look for homes that had bad paint jobs or that needed a, you know, needed a touch up. And uh, I'd get out of the car go knock on their door and start talking to him and setting him up an opportunity to go in and give a quote. So I didn't really know that was sales at all. I was just, I was just helping my brother. We were hanging out and, uh, finding jobs. And so I did that. That was, I guess, my first lick at sales. Um, and it actually worked. Like we, we were getting bids and we were, he was closing jobs. And then I was, not only was I doing that, I was actually doing the actual painting too. Um, severely underpaid. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I got a bone to pick with him now, but you know, I'll, he'll, uh, I'll take him up on that later. But um, th that was my first lick at it. So I just kind of accidentally started doing it. And I've always been fairly charismatic. I've always enjoyed talking with people and making friends and meeting new people. So it was kind of natural. And that was the first lick at sales that I had. So was that in, just for context, was that in Idaho or where, where were you actually doing the door? That was, in, that was in Logan, Utah. So I went to Utah State University. Okay. Um, the Aggies represent, um, I actually don't have a ton of school pride, but pretty, you know, decent school. Um, sure. And, uh, yeah, so that was in that was in Utah. We started doing that in the winter. So my first my first knocking gig was we had to drive up to Ogden. That was his territory. So it was about an hour, maybe hour and a half away if we're going to the far end of town. Um, and yeah, we just lace them up, gloves, hat, coat, boots, and yeah, find homes that had some peel and paint. You know, good for you. All right, so you just got thrown right into the mix and it sounds like you made it work. Did you also, did you serve a mission or was this your first time ever knocking? Cause I know in Utah, a lot of people have done some door to door before selling some religion. Yes. Uh, so I grew up in a, from a Mormon family. Um, my family's like I, I mentioned before, great, great people in my family. Uh, I went on a Mormon mission to El Salvador. Um, I don't, uh, I don't consider myself a Mormon. 
these days. Um, I got nothing wrong with it. Nothing against anybody that does great people. Um, but yeah, I, I, my second sales job was selling Mormonism in Spanish, uh, in El Salvador. And that's like, that's really where, you know, I knocked on a ton of doors and I met a bunch of people and just experienced like severe, um, yeah, just discomfort and, um, you know, rejection and just, just the idea you hear people say all the time, like, you know, get comfortable being uncomfortable. Um, I spent a lot of my life uncomfortable, you know, prior to that, like when I was in high school, I, I'd worked, I, I'd worked jobs in the summer and I'd worked construction jobs. I drove heavy equipment. Um, you know, I drove a steamroller for, you know, 12 hours a day, six days a week in the summers. And, you know, experiencing like major dust storms and like, it, it, so I come from a background of doing hard work. I always prided myself. I, I always got a kick out of like that pat on the back, right? Anytime I got a pat on the back, like that fueled me. So any job that I had, I wanted to come out and be this, like I had this persona in my head that I'm this young buck that's coming in, that's going to outwork all these old dudes. And I'm going to get a lot of praise from the boss. And I kind of desired that early on. And, um, you know, really, I think everywhere I went, I've kind of enjoyed that part of, of sales and that part of just working, right? When you do a good job, you're rewarded for it, whether it's a, a pat on the back or whether it's, you know, monetarily um, in sales, it's much more monetary than it is a pat on the back sometimes, but. Um, yeah, for yeah. sure. That, that makes a ton of sense. So from there, you're setting appointments for your brother. You're out there doing some knocking, started in the cold winters. And you just seem to figure it out. But I guess after doing 12 hours a day of construction and driving heavy equipment, it probably wasn't that bad in general. But what was your, I mean, what was your initial reactions? Were most people pretty good with you because you're a charismatic guy and they expected it because you were kind of in Utah and most people there have knocked doors for being missionaries or what, what was the initial response like for you? Uh, you know what? It, it's, uh, it's funny because you hear people talk about just getting their asses kicked on the doors, right? Like, Oh man, it's so brutal. Um, I don't know if I've ever really experienced that. Um, a little bit, you know, you get somebody here and there that's, that's a jerk or whatnot, but for the most part, people are people. And once you start talking to somebody or once I guess you get them to open up or something, I, I don't, I don't know what it is, but I don't really see that. I, even when I go out today, I, you know, I went out a couple of weeks ago, knocked on a bunch of doors. It was out in Arizona and uh, somebody's like, man, that market's just been knocked to shit. And so I went out with Jay Pellets. We flew out to Arizona. We started knocking on some doors in Phoenix and everybody was friendly and everybody was nice. And it's, it's like, so I, I don't know what it is. I think a lot of it comes from your approach. You know, we see stuff all the time. I, I've always been really turned off by the uh, approach of like trying to trick somebody into talking to you. Um, I usually just kind of hit the nail right on the head. If I'm talking about solar, I'll knock on the door. I'll say, hey, we're setting up some solar appointments here. We've been doing some work in the area. So we're setting up some free consultations for people. I'll hit it right on the head. And what you'll find is they might have a couple objections, but there's no like, I like to start from a place of trust, right? Here's what I'm doing, let's talk. And it's kind of always been that way. Um, and yeah, for the most part, I think, I think if you're getting a ton of like harsh rejection, um, I don't know, it might be coming from you. For sure. For sure. And I, I know we're not doing video with this, but I'm sure, you know, blonde hair, blue eyes showing up to somebody's door. I don't think that's probably the worst thing <laughs> in the world, but so fast forward from here. So we get your introduction to sales, kind of understand where you're at at this point. Now, fast forward, how do you find, how do you find the solar industry? Where, where's your first start come from there? Yeah. Uh, gotta give a, gotta give some props to my, my good buddy, uh, James Allred, uh, one of the VPs over at Sunrun now. Um, you know, I, I sold alarms in college. So in the summers I, I went out and sold alarms for a couple summers. Um, I did, I, I did well in alarms. Honestly, I didn't enjoy selling alarms. That was actually like, that was when I thought I didn't like sales. It was just a means to an end. And the product, I mean, today, smart home products are like way, way better than they were back then. I mean, it was, a, it was some basic door sensors that cost a buck a piece. It was, you know, a motion sensor that cost two bucks, a panel on the wall that, 
like the product just wasn't great. Um, and I just remember, you know, you, you have to be a bulldog in alarms. And so I learned, fortunately, my, my brother-in-law, so my wife's older sister's husband, um, his name's Brian Timms. Um, you know, he was working at Protection One at the time. He's the one that got me into selling alarms. Um, I'd interviewed with a couple different people because I knew some people that were selling alarms at the time. And when I met him, because um, I just started dating my now wife, she introduced me to him. I went out and, and sold on his team for a couple summers. And uh, he was, I didn't know this at the time, but um, he was really good, which I knew that because he would put up, you know, great numbers every single week. But Protection One at the time was was pretty massive. I, mean, I think they were second to Vivint. They just, uh, they had just acquired um, Pinnacle. And so Pinnacle was now under the guise of Protection One. And they ran this massive nationwide competition, bracket style, head to head, you know, they top reps, rookies against rookies. Um, my brother-in-law, I watched him uh, take that competition all the way to the, to the finals uh, against Taylor McCarthy. So a lot of people listening to this podcast probably know who Taylor McCarthy is. Um, Taylor was a legend. The, I was watching these guys sell. They flew them out to like Texas or I can't remember where. They were both throwing down like seven, eight, nine a day. And that was just, I mean, if anybody's ever sold an alarm before, you know that it takes you, I don't know, if, if you're real quick, it takes you a half hour to close it, but you're probably, takes you probably about an hour to close the deal. So I mean, you're nine hours in the home and then your knocking time is just, you know, you just have to have this like fractional time between homes or between sits and it's just unbelievable. So I, I was really lucky to, uh, to watch him knock doors. And I think one thing everybody can take from this, the thing I learned most from Brian um, is I, I remember struggling, you know, coming in, having some success early. And then I think everybody hits like a sophomore slump. Like once you figure out how to do it, then you throw away everything you learned and you try something new because you think you got it and then you start to fail. And a lot of people run into that in a lot of things that we do, um, whether it's going to the gym, whether it's a new sales job, whatever, you have that initial success, then you rest on your laurels, you fall off. So that happened to me. I remember I called Brian up, I'm like, hey, can I, can I shadow you and uh, you know, see what's going on? So he's like, sure. And he comes out, we knock on one door and he goes through his pitch and the lady just totally rejects him, right? And I'm like, well, off to the next one. And he says his pitch again. And he's like, no, 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 Here, you know, here's what we're doing. Ball, you know, he just goes through it again. He's like, so, so basically we do this, we do this, we do X, Y, and Z. All I need to do is check out this. Like, where can we sit? And she's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not interested. And he goes, yeah, totally get it. But here's base, all I'm doing, trust me, this isn't, this isn't a big, big, big ordeal, right? I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. I just need a place we can sit real quick and then I'll get out of your hair. And he did that like three or four, maybe even five times. And I'm sitting there watching him and I'm uncomfortable because I'm like, man, she, you're really becoming a nuisance to this lady. And next thing I know, we're walking in the house and we become great friends. She's feeding us donuts and getting us waters. And then he signs the deal up and then we walk out. And I'm like, man, I am just giving up way too early. And that was like a, a huge light bulb that went off for me was that is like, you know, people say all the time, right? Persistence beats resistance. It's like, if you just circle back or like loop through, like just turn your pitch and play it on loop and go through it once and they're going to deny you and they're going to say no. And then if you say, yeah, I totally get it. And then you go through it again, you got a much higher chance of getting in. And then again, but I just watched him do it. Like, you know, I can't remember. It might've been four or five times. Like it was uncomfortable to say the very least. And then we walked away with the deal and she's loving us. Amazing. It's amazing. And, uh, so yeah, you know, and, and I, I kind of went off on a little bit of a tangent. No, there. no, no, no. That, that, that was awesome. I, yeah. I, I think, I think the point of that really, and I'm glad you went into all of that is really just like you said, it's, it's tension is the chemistry of sales in a sense, right? It's like you have to continue to keep pushing and his belief in his product was so strong and that's ultimately what you needed to see. It wasn't a fancy line. There wasn't anything that he was keeping, keeping hidden from you. It was just a matter of continuously showing up and having that conviction to push through. So that's a great lesson. So yeah. fast forward from there. So you have an awesome view into, be, into how to be successful in alarms. How do you then transition? So now James Allred, where do we go from here? 
James and I, so uh, I met James in college. Um, I, uh, I kind of lived at his house a little bit. I had my own place, but I ended up sleeping on a, in a, on a mattress behind his couch. You know, he had like a, it wasn't a frat house, but it was a bunch of cool guys that I became friends with. And I ended up crashing there all the time. So James and I became really good buddies. Um, he's a year older than me. He graduated, uh, what was a part of one of the very first vivid solar offices out in New Jersey. So he moved out to Jersey. Uh, we stayed in touch, talked all the time. Um, you know, my, uh, my success in alarms at that time, he was, he was wanting to get me to come out and sell solar. Um, I always had, um, I don't, I don't know where it came from, but I, there was a couple guys that, that came and worked with us in alarms from Vivint and, uh, they got fired from Vivint, I think, and they ended up getting fired from our office too. And I just had like this weird perception of Vivint at the time, like, ah, Vivint's a bunch of shady crooks. Cause the only people I knew from Vivint, like there was four or five of them that came in and all four or five of them went out. And so that's not, that's not really a knock on Vivint. Like that was my misperception at the time. I now have a much, much deeper and profound respect for Vivint and, and what they do. I mean, talk about an incredible culture and incredible, you know, story there. But um, so I just had this aversion to working at Vivint. And I also had a little bit of an aversion to getting back into sales because of just working in alarms. Alarms is a grind, dude. It just, it just wore me down. And by the time I was done, I was just glad to be done. Yeah, it's, um, a very, it's a very emotional sale compared to solar. Yep. Yep. So I'm, uh, I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm, I, I'm just about to graduate. I'm applying to go get my master's somewhere. And that's, that's what I was going to do. I was going to go get a master's degree and then go get a desk job somewhere. And, um, you know, I'll make good money. It might take me 10 years to get there, but I'll get there. That was my strategy. Um, James calls me up one day, drink of water there. James calls me up one day. He's like, Hey, uh, I am moving down to Tucson and I just got a job with solar city and you should come check it out. And what year is this? This would have been 2000 and early 2013, maybe okay. late 2012, roughly so in there. So eight, nine years ago. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, James and, uh, Jordan Taylor went and they opened up that first Tucson office at, for solar city. So, um, <clears throat> I, uh, yeah, I end up driving down to Tucson and hanging out with James for a week and just kind of getting the, you know, getting the lay of the land there. Um, he's telling me a little bit about solar, teaching me about it. I honestly was really skeptical. Like I'm just looking for, I think like most people, when they hear about solar customers, especially, I'm just looking for the catch. Like, where's this thing going to come back and bite me in the ass? Cause it just sounds way too good to be true. And my, the real hangup I had was like, you know, we were selling leases with a 2.9 escalator in the margin there in Arizona. I think the utility was selling at like nine cents and we were selling at 7.2 which today is just a hilarious number to sell a, a lease or a PPA at. But sure. back then, back then I'm looking at it, I'm like, well, we're really close to the utilities price. And how do I know the utility costs are going to go up? And it took a lot of like, took a lot of uh, education on my part and a lot of trust in, in what we were doing and in the mission. Um, but, you know, while I'm there kind of getting quote unquote recruited, I just had a great time. I, I met Jordan Taylor for the first time. If anybody doesn't know Jordan Taylor out in, out in Arizona, I mean, just in, just an incredible, awesome dude. Um, so I go out with both of those guys. We, we knock on some doors. I end up seeing uh, some deals get closed and it just looks so easy and it looks so much like so much fun, right? One thing about James is James is a blast to hang around with. And so we were just having fun. I was just out there. I'm like, man, I, what am I going to go to school? I just remember sitting there and thinking that I can make money doing this and I'm going to have a blast doing this. And once I believed in the product, it was kind of the, that was kind of the nail in the coffin. Like once I really had certainty that this was a good thing, um, I was in. So I remember uh, sitting there with James, we're like laying in the pool and just talking about, you know, are, are you in or what are you going to do? I'm like, yeah, you know what? I'm in, I'm, I'm down. Let's do it. And uh, I drive home, get to my house, open up the mailbox. I got a couple of those big like manila envelopes in the, in the mailbox. And I had got, had an acceptance letter from one of the schools I applied to. And I remember looking at that and just tossing it to the side and not even giving mm. it a thought. Mm. And uh, yeah. So then I, I graduated from college and I loaded my stuff up in, in two cars and my wife and I drove down and uh, started banging on doors in Tucson again. Wow. So immediately you recognize just being out there with James and Jordan that this was just a, it's a different sale. 
right? It's like a different fee. You were getting different responses from homeowners. You felt different about the product. It just, this was a fresh start for you. It was a fresh start. And also I just remember looking back at, uh, you know, there was people that I worked for in the alarm industry. And I just looked at, at some of these people that were, you know, wildly successful and like talent and ability and all of those things that can take you pretty far, but timing is everything. And so if you can get into something early, if that thing ends up blowing up, like you, you're in a great spot. And so I just like, that was what really kept going through my mind. Like more than anything, like, yeah, solar was a great product to sell. I was sold on that. Um, what I was really excited about was the upside potential. Like I just, I, 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 I remember talking to my wife as we were kind of mulling things over and I'm like, I just can't like, there's going to be a day when we're driving around uh, in our hover cars, looking up at all these rooftops and they're going to be covered in solar panels. And I'm either going to look at that and be like, hell yeah, like that was, that's me. I did that. Or I'm going to look at that and go, damn, I missed that boat. And you know, I, I think one of the biggest drivers of, of getting into it was I just didn't want to miss the boat. Like I saw this thing was coming. And I mean, I think that's the sickest thing about solar today is like, dude, the ship hasn't even sailed yet. Yeah, like it's we're still just, just getting started for sure. So was your wife on board right away? Cause she knew you weren't all about alarms. Like, did she just, she have that faith in you that it's like, Hey, let's jump in the cars and just go down there. What, what was that like from her perspective? Um, yes and no. Like she's, she, she had the faith in me to do that. Um, I think there was a part of her that I think probably like any, any spouse or parent of somebody that's getting into this game, right? It's like, okay, so you're going to go a hundred percent commission door to door and that's going to be your career. Like that's what you're going to choose to do. So there was a little bit of her and I could sense that and she didn't, she didn't ever come out and say that, you know, but I, I could sense that that was a, a point of tension. Like really you're going to, you could go get a master's degree, go to business school, like be a professional and Take like, a that's, a, yeah. that's a ticket, man. Like you, you, that is not a bad life to live. It's really not. Um, or you can roll the dice and, you know, I've always been a bit of a risk taker. So, you know, I think ultimately like my desire to, to kind of roll the dice there and, you know, dive in on the solar game was, was stronger than her desire to play it safe. For sure. For and, sure. Uh, but she's been a, yeah, she's been supporting me, you know, every single day since it, like we haven't looked back. I mean, since the day we decided to do it, we dove in and she's been, my biggest cheerleader and biggest support the whole time. So yeah, that matters a lot. That definitely matters a lot. I know there's a lot of guys in this industry that their, their families have followed them state to state to state for this opportunity. So having the support of your family and something like this makes all the difference in the world. So moving forward from this point, right? So now you're out there, you're getting your feet under you, you're knocking for solar. I'm sure we could spend an hour just talking about your rise through solar city and correct me if I'm wrong. That that was Elon Musk at that point was, was he involved? At Solar City, what was the framework? What was that leadership structure like? Elon was, I mean, I, I never heard from Elon. Uh, Elon was the chairman of the board. His cousin, Lyndon Rive, was the CEO. Uh, we hear from Lyndon from time to time. It was really Hayes Barnard. Like Hayes, Hayes Barnard and Tongi Sarah, they were run, they'd run like an all, all hands call once a week that was just like tons of great energy, tons of positive, you know, encouragement and like, I learned a lot from, from being on those calls and like watching Hayes, like Hayes was kind of the, one of the first guys that I saw early on that I was like, man, that's somebody I want to emulate. You know, I've had a lot of leaders, not, I've had many of them, that there's parts of them that I want to emulate, but like Hayes to me was like, he was the real deal. Like he was doing it on a big scale. Um, he was doing good things. You know, they founded the give power foundation back then. Um, so Hayes was like, he was running all of sales at Solar City. We heard from him often. Um, and he was a real source of just, you know, like, man, can, how, how, do you, how do you do what that guy's doing? Like, I want to do what that guy does someday. And uh, so, but Elon, you know, I mean, yeah, we had, the, we had a little bit of the fanfare there. You could tout, you know, that Elon Musk was the chairman of the board. I mean, don't get me wrong. I said that in every sales presentation I ever had, in every recruiting meeting I'd ever had, like that was... It's like, oh, you're going to go work. Why are you going to work? Are you going to bet against Elon? Like, you ain't going to bet against, you're not betting against Elon. Like, 
That, that's exactly that's exactly why I asked you that because I knew it had the notoriety and he was the guy above Solar City for a bit, even if it was just by name. So going from that point, so you obviously had a great career there. That that's where your reputation really began in the solar industry, and it's followed you ever since. So then, what got you to the point where you're like, hey, now it's my turn to do this. Let me link up with my good friends and let's go give this a shot. What where does that story originate? Um, well. So in college, uh, I studied psychology and entrepreneurship. Um, my, so part of like graduating and, and getting my degree, I had to like create a mock business and we had to go through, you know, create a business plan, come up with a financial strategy, test your model, um, pitch it to investors, take criticism from the investors. Like they brought in real angel investors from the Valley there that would come and sit in on these presentations. So I, uh, I made, I made a mock solar company. That's what I did. And, uh, you know, I went through like public data, you know, got solar cities numbers, try and figure out costs per watt and all those things. So I built out this business plan. Um, and I don't know how, you know, uh, I don't even have it. I, I don't even know where to find it. So it's not like it's a driving force by what we're doing today. But um, my, my plan was, so I, I pitched this business plan. They had like a pitch competition. And I think there was like 15 of us in the class. So we all get up, pitch our businesses to the investors. They then voted on a winner. Uh, and I won the pitch competition. And so I was like, hey, maybe I'm, maybe I'm onto something here. Um, and I remember one of the guys one of the investors that came into the class, he wrote his phone number up on the board and he says, Hey, I do this every semester. He's like, I come in, I listen to this. I speak to you guys. I write my phone number up on the board here. And I tell everybody, if you want to reach out to me, I will buy your lunch and you can pick my brain like open invitation. He says, I've done this now. I can't remember how many semesters he said he'd done it. He says literally zero people have ever reached out to me. So here you go. Open invite. So I'm like, well, shit, I'm going to like, I'm taking this guy's number down. So I took down the guy's number. I sent him a message. Uh, we went to lunch um, shortly after, like shortly after all that pitch competition, everything was done. I went to lunch with the guy and we talked over my business plan. And then he was asking me like, okay, so now what are you going to do? So you're about to graduate. What are you going to do with this? I'm like, well, here's my plan. Um, I'm going to go work at Solar City. I'm going to go learn the business and then I'm going to break off and do this. And so that was my plan, right? I'm using air quotes here. That was my plan. Well, I started working at Solar City. Um, I fell in love with the culture there and the community there. Um, I moved my family to New Jersey. I started building the team in New Jersey. Um, we ended up building a great team in New Jersey. I met a lot of awesome people there that, that uh, and anybody that's building the team right now, you know, I went through some really tough times of thinking I knew how to do this only to find out I had no idea how to do this. And that I was just getting my ass kicked, you know, every day trying to bring in recruits, train them up, they'd leave. Um, man, how do you find top talent? And then all of a sudden getting one good guy and then getting another good guy. My buddy, uh, Bo Fulkinga over at Harness now, Bo's one of the VPs at Harness Power. He ended up coming in and being on my team. He became my assistant manager, right? He was like my right-hand guy. And then Boom. Once he came in, now I had a little bit of support. And then we brought in and we found a great recruit and then it just started building. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, that was an incredible little run there. Um, and I, I had some opportunities at solar city. So I got, I got a, a couple promotions at solar city that allowed me to travel around the country and get to know, you know, people in other markets. And then, um, ultimately I ended up in Massachusetts. So, I kind of got addicted to the culture that we had there, chasing the opportunity to get promoted and make more money and those things. So it's almost like, you know, you, you go and start something because you're like, there, there's only a couple of reasons to start something. Like one, you can't get what you want where you're at. So you're just at a dead end. So if that's the case, then I guess that's a good reason to. That wasn't the case for me. I felt like I, I had opportunity to continue to grow and expand and um, learn more. And so I was pretty fulfilled there. Um, you know, really what, what was the push over the edge was COVID coming. So when COVID hit, the whole world basically just stopped overnight. Nobody knew what this was. Um, I remember talking to my dad, who my dad works, my dad is, uh, he, he works for a local bank in Idaho. It's called First Federal Savings Bank. They're, they're about a billion dollar bank, um, which, you know, amongst 
the banking world. That's not a huge bank, but it's, you know, um, so, but they have like different financial planning and different, uh, you know, strategy sessions and how to mitigate risk and things like that. So they had this, this big meeting around COVID and I talked to my dad and he was like, yeah, so what we're looking at is, is, you know, he's like, we are planning on this thing uh, lasting a long time. And he said, this is going to be something we're going to remember for a long time. And so my advice would be just brace yourself. And, you know, everybody's saying two weeks, he's like, we're from a financial standpoint, we're not looking at this thing to come and go in two weeks. We're, we actually think it's going to last a while and it might change things forever, which was interesting to hear that because they were hundred percent right. Um, so anyway, I have this bug in my ear about what this is. And then um, the place I was at, it felt like they were treating it as if something was, it was just going to come and go, and then we'd get back to normal. And when COVID hit, I saw it as an opportunity. I thought, okay, now we need to start working the phones a whole lot better. We got to really start calling through our pipelines. We need to get the setters immediately dispatching appointments right to the sales reps who are on Zoom, ready to go close deals. I remember I, I went down into my basement. So, so in my house, I got two kids. Uh, they're running around like crazy upstairs. I got an unfinished basement. This is March. And I remember going down into my basement, setting up a stand-up desk on top of a bunch of boxes. And I made a little like desk for myself about a second monitor down there. I'm like, all right, I'm in the war. I'm in the war room now. Like I'm ready and to go. Just out of curiosity, was this with the corporate company you were still with, or this was the beginnings of boundless? This is back when I was with uh, Trinity solar. Got it. Okay. I just wanted to set the tone there. Yeah. Quick, quick plug for Trinity solar. Um, you know, amazing company, amazing culture, amazing leadership, top, top to bottom. Like, like I you know that was solar city laid everybody off. They laid off the entire direct division. So I went from thinking I'm on top of the world and have this, you know, abundance of opportunity ahead of me to you're a free agent. You don't have a job. And uh, I ended up landing over at Trinity Solar and uh, I had a great three year run there. I mean, just I, I honestly, I couldn't say enough great things. Like they're just phenomenal people. That's where I met you. I remember seeing you from afar, just dominating down on Long Island and like, you know, so um, great, great things to say about them. During the pandemic, uh, everybody was on their heels. And, uh, you know, I, I felt like the way that things had happened was it was almost a wait and see approach versus a, you know, get aggressive. And, and I, I wanted to get aggressive. I wanted to, to figure out, okay, if everybody gets, their, gets the rug pulled out from under them all at the same time, it's a huge opportunity to figure something out quicker, faster, and better than everybody else and get a head start. This is exactly the same situation repeating itself when you first saw solar from alarms. It sounds like you just recognized that this was a first mover's advantage. Yeah. I mean, uh, Jack Welsh, the, the uh, former CEO of GE says, never let a good crisis go to waste. There you go. And so boom, crisis on our hands, the whole world's on its heels and who can figure this thing out. So I remember going down to my bunker, building out like a virtual sales process and like, I just took that on at that time. Like somebody needed to do it. And I'm like, you know what? I'll do this. I'll do it for the whole company. I went down, started building out slide decks, started working on tools to make sure we could sell virtually. And, uh, and then I'm like, okay, you know, I hadn't sold the deal and it had been probably two years since I'd sold the deal. Um, and I'm like, all right, the team needs me to figure this out. So I remember uh, I had a, a referral from a friend. So it was, it was like a referral of a referral that a friend of mine is like, Hey, can you sell this deal for me in Maryland? And uh, I'll give you a cut on the commission. I'm like, yeah, no problem. So he sends it over to me. So I reach out to my team on Slack. I'm like, all right, I'm going to close a deal on Zoom at this time. Here's the link. Come on and shadow me. And so I sent it out. And I think we had like 20 people jump on this Zoom link. All with one customer? It, with one customer. But he was on the phone. So he was not oh, on my Zoom. Okay, so he couldn't see. It. Got it. So what I did was I dialed into Zoom from my phone. Sure. And then I three-way called him. Got it. Okay. And then I just had my, I, you know, I had a, a handful of people from my team on this Zoom link. So I'm looking at them like I'm looking at you right now. And then I'm talking to the customer on the phone. So I'd be like muting the customer and then I talk to this, my team. I'm like, all right, so here's the deal. Like this is going to happen. I think he's going to say this. If he says this, I'm going to do this. Oh, there, you know, I talked to him again. He'd say the thing. I'd pause. I'd mute him. Be like, all right, you see that? The only way I lose this deal is if I don't press right now. So here's what I'm going to do. And I come back to him. It was sick, dude. And uh, I was really nervous to That's do cool. that but I felt like I need to put myself out there. And so 
um, you know, I did that. And then, you know, the team started selling deals virtually. And I don't think I was the first person ever to sell a deal virtually. But you, show, you, show, you showed what's possible, at least to your core group of people, which is awesome. So yeah, that so, was still while you were at the other solar company, but there you built the framework for your belief and ability to now launch Boundless during the midst of a global pandemic. I think what I learned, um, what I learned above uh, anything else, and like this has happened to me a couple times in my life, but you, you know, you always doubt yourself. You're always like, yeah, am I, you know, you, we might talk, we're sales guys, right? So we might talk like we're the man, but it, I think everybody in the back of their mind has a little self-doubt or a little bit of imposter syndrome, you know, that we deal sure. with. So, but I, I just remember at that time just thinking like, you know what, like I, when, when shit hits the fan, like I'm down to pick up a shovel and start shoveling shit. And like, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I felt like there was a lot of people looking to me when shit hit the fan that needed my help and support. You know, frankly, I felt like there were a lot of people that were looking to me that were way outside of my influence that started looking at me or looking to me for leadership when it really, you know, they didn't report to me or maybe, you know, they were above me or whatever in, in the hierarchy there. So like, I just remember kind of feeling for the first time, not for the first time, but just feeling like, you know, a real sense of clarity around the fact that, uh, you know, people need a leader and people need somebody to show them the way and show them that how something can be done. And when, you know, that all happened. And by default, I had a lot of people looking to me and surprisingly a lot of people looking to me. Um, you know, I just all of a sudden had just a newfound sense of self and sense of ability that like, you know what, this is going to be a hard time. And it was a hard time. Like people's pay is getting cut, you know, nobody's knocking doors anymore. So all of a sudden the whole game has changed and it's like, what, what's going to happen? So, um, I, I just felt like, uh, something needed to be done and something needed to be done differently. And there was better ways of, of doing things that, um, you know, and, and this isn't a knock on like Trinity solar today still crushes it, you know? So like they're, they're beating our asses. So, I, you know, I, I got nothing to say. Um, but I just, I felt like there was a way to do things that uh, I could put my stamp on and that would provide for a lot of people in the best way that I knew how to. So, um, yeah, I mean, it was really just midst of a pandemic, um, opportunity and timing is, is literally everything. So, you know, we're a boundless as a dealer for freedom forever. Okay. Most people that are, are acutely aware of who we are, they probably know that fact. Um, you know, freedom ended up coming out to the East coast. So, so the story is like, I didn't actually look to do this. This, this wasn't really an option. In fact, um, I had, you know, I always, I, I consider myself to be pretty aware of what's going on and I keep myself in the loop um, really well. I, I, I know a lot of different people in a lot of different places and a lot of different corners of the industry, different installers, different sales orgs, whatever. Um, I knew what was out there and I honestly didn't see anything that was worth pursuing. So I visited different warehouses out here in New England I just, cause one, I want to know what the competition's doing. And two, I want to make sure that we are a step ahead. And it was pretty underwhelming to be honest um, at the time, maybe, maybe, you know, everybody's leveled up and I'm, I'm unaware at this point, but I just remember thinking, you know what, this, this is it. What I'm doing right now is the best thing to be doing. Well, then uh, I get a call from a buddy of mine out in California and he says, Hey, um, do you want to, would you be willing to take a phone call from somebody? I got someone that's interested in talking to you. So I'm like, yeah, I mean, I'll take a phone call, you know, that, that can't hurt. So I, I get on the phone and I get on the phone with Brett Bushy, who's the CEO at Freedom Forever. He's the owner and CEO. Um, and what he laid out to me was just this beautifully transparent, like open landscape of opportunity um, he started listing off names of, of people that they'd acquired to do installations. And he basically told me like, we're coming to the East coast. Okay. We're going to start opening up the East coast. 
we've reached out to some people um, based on the feedback we've gotten. Every, a couple of the people that we respect told us, if you want to open the East Coast, you probably need to call Riley. And so I got that phone call and we, we talked for a little bit. Um, I just, it, it was kind of the first time in my solar career that I saw something that I was impressed with. Like I, there's a lot out there, but this, what I saw was like, man, this is different. It's unique. Um, I knew the guys, like some of the, some of the leads uh, on their operations team, you know, Danny Rubin and Brian Eaglesayer. Eaglesayer is the chief operations officer here at Freedom Forever. Danny Rubin's the VP of all of field ops. Well, those guys were the guys at Solar City. Like Danny Rubin was the, the director of the whole Northeast. I would call Danny with problems years ago. And I just remember having this beautifully symbiotic relationship between sales and operations that I missed. And like, I, I longed for that relationship where we work together and we're excited to talk to each other. And so like I, you know, Brett told me that those guys were on board and that they're going to be leasing out, leasing warehouses and recruiting, you know, teams and crews and, you know, warehouse managers, and they were building it. And I just remember thinking, man, like this is a, this is, if I don't do this, uh, I'm going to have to compete against this. And I don't think that's a battle that I'm going to win. Mm. And it at was that point, they, at that point, they were also taking a big risk during COVID, right? Oh, huge, huge. Um, I mean, this is so right in line with, with what I was talking about earlier, right? Brett gets on and he starts telling me about their, their marketing campaigns. He's like, listen, when COVID hit, we looked at it and we thought, you know what? Nobody's marketing right now. So we doubled down on ad spend. We doubled down on marketing. They went and created an infomercial with Richard Karn, who's the, from, uh, he's Al from Home Improvement. And they start airing this infomercial. And like, they were just doing some creative things that really nobody was doing. And it was just, it was refreshing for me to feel like, man, this thing is, this thing has the capacity to become really, really big. And, and it's an opportunity for me to do something that I've really always wanted to do. Um, and I just needed a platform to do it. So, um, yeah, I mean, that, that was it. I resigned and uh, I didn't have a business set up. I didn't have, like, I, I honestly, it was, it was such a, it was such a difficult thing. Like, I just remember like, you know, really like hurting on the inside because I knew that this is what I needed to do for me and for my family. I knew that it's what I actually wanted to do. Um, I knew that it was gonna, you know, I, I was gonna lose friends over it. I knew that, and, and I mean, when you work with people closely, like, dude, when I, when I work with people, like they become my family. Like I don't do anything else. I literally don't. I live out in Massachusetts. I have no, like, actually my younger sister lives here now. So I have some family here, but it's like, dude, I work. And then I hang out with my wife and kids. That's it. I play golf like once a month. I'm not that good at it. Um, you know, it depends on, depends on who you're asking. I guess good is relative, but, uh, like, so I became very, very, very close with these people. And I think a lot of people, if anybody's listening, you probably work with people that you're very close with. And the idea of not being, it felt like a divorce. Like, honestly, like I've never been divorced, but I imagine like that's similar to how it felt. It was just like heart wrenching. Like my heart just ripped out of my chest and this separation of my closest friends and people I was with to now me just, you know, jumping off the deep end here and seeing where it takes me. It was, it was tough, dude. It was really you were ready. You were ready for the next level of growth, right? I mean, it's, it's for anybody that that's worked at a bigger company and has held a title and a position like you've had, it's a ton of work, but it's also very lucrative. You're an entrepreneur instead of an entrepreneur. A lot of the background stuff is being taken care of for you and it just, it's comfortable, right? That's where people get stuck. So for you to walk away at that time, I think the coolest part of that story is the synergy between you and freedom forever and how all of a sudden you just had a Goliath behind you that was also reinventing themselves at the same time, ready to just go link arms with and just go ultimately be in a huge position of power. So awesome story, right? The game just got totally shooken up right there and you just found yourself in a position to be able to capitalize. So going forward now, so boundless has started, you got freedom at your hip, 
You guys have unlimited ads really at this point where you got more leads coming into your company at a time where that matters more than almost anything. What's, what's going on at this point? Cause you must feel like you got the world by the balls right now. Oh, well, I'll tell you what, I don't, um, I feel pretty good, but, but I will say, um, yeah, there was a time when we had unlimited leads coming in. Um, we had like everything was working and it, like, I felt unstoppable. Like, man, I'm a, what am I a genius? You know, this is too easy. Um, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of the call, like we, we cracked 500 deals. Like the, the, the crazy thing is, dude, is like we, I, I don't think I called anybody. Like the phone just started ringing. I think like the timing of all of this, it's not like you know, I'm, I'm so good or so incredible. It's like, nah, they're just, there wasn't great options at the time. I, I don't think for a lot of people. And so something new that came out, uh, with a with you know a name of myself and then some of my partners that that are a part of the organization that just have incredible backgrounds, incredible reputations. Like it just attracted a lot of talent. So we attracted a lot of talent early on. The phones were ringing off the hook. I had people walking in the office like every single day. Like I, I would never know who's going to come in the office to come come have a chat. So we started opening up new states and just all of a sudden this network that I had had you know, from previous uh, things that I'd done in my life was now open to me, you know, working at a regional company, we were just, you know, a couple states on the East coast. Now all of a sudden it's like, okay, should we open Florida? Should we open Texas up? What about Arizona? What? So boom, 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 just all these different states coming hard and fast. Um, we grew really fast. Um, we, this year though, I will say like, we really haven't grown in terms of, uh, in terms of revenue this year, you know, we're running about the same rate that we did from January until now. We really haven't experienced much growth. So if you look at how many sales we're doing, that number stayed relatively flat this year, which has been disappointing to me. Um, but I will say, uh, you know, we had to reinvent ourselves this year. So all of the leads that we were getting, this whole system that was working so beautifully, all of a sudden that system just crumbled and basically disappeared overnight. So we find, we go from, you know, having a couple hundred sales reps that are getting fed, a, you know, a couple hundred appointments a day to waking up one morning and then realizing like, oh shit, the whole game changed again. So this entire year, um, it's beautiful because, you know, you gotta, like, it just came too easy. It honestly, the, the first 500 deals came way too easy. It should not have been that easy. And, you know, we had to, we had to kind of reconcile our, our, uh, uh, our own, you know, image of ourselves and our belief in ourselves and our belief in our business model and like really just reconfigure and hit the drawing board. So this year has been all about, you know, backfilling the lead volume that we were getting with our own lead generation efforts. So now backfilling with, you know, we built out a, a full size call center now. So we have the capacity to call and generate leads from a call center. We've been building the ground games. We have lead gen coming from, from canvassers and we, we call it field marketing. And, you know, we got, we got teams in mass and Rhode Island. We got Jersey, we got Florida, Texas, you know, we got, so we got these teams up and going and it's been a, it's been a year of basically reinventing ourselves just to, to maintain the volume that we were doing. So blessing and a curse, right? On one hand, we got a taste of what, it, of, of how easy and how awesome it was to do that kind of volume. But then we got a taste of, you know, reliance on somebody else to get you there, right? So all of these leads that we were getting were coming from one source. And when that thing fell, now we're left holding this bag like, oh shit, how do we, how do we make this happen? So dude, it's been a hell of a year. Um, I, would, I would say that 2022, we're looking really good. Um, you know, we've really just been, like I said, maintaining and building out this infrastructure that we can grow on again. So it's been a challenging year. Um, we've had, you know, plenty of success stories this year, but for the most part, I mean, I thought if you would have asked me a year ago, how many deals a month we'd be doing right now, I'd tell you at least a thousand, at least a thousand. Cause we had a system that works. So all we needed to do was recruit salespeople, train them up, plug them into the system, bada bing, bada bang, they're selling deals every week. Well, we've had to reinvent that system. So it's been, uh, it's been amazing. Um, I've had to learn a lot. I've had to, to learn how to invest 
invest our money wisely and where to put my time and energy and focus. And there's, it's been, it's been absolutely wild. So um, it's, you know what, but I mean, that's the beautiful thing about it is now it's like, it's on me. It's on me. So if it's broke, like, it's not that I do everything. Like I, I actually, there's very little that I actually do, you know, but there's a few things that I have to do. And if something's broken, like, okay, I have to make sure that I'm showing up and delivering every day because if I'm not, you know, it's, if it's to be, it's on me, you know, and I, and I like it that way. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, you know, again, in terms of what you've built here and the people you've built it with, how, how important is, is it to you to be surrounding yourself with people that are better than you that can make this thing happen? Cause I know you have that's, great partners that are working with you. Dude, that's, I mean, you know, them, right. So uh, let, let me name them off. Give, give these guys a shout out in case they're listening. But um, you know, Mark Featherstone, Derek Vecchioni, those are two like old school solar city guys. Uh, I linked up with those guys years ago. Um, was always chasing them, you know, watching their offices just crush um, Jay Pellets, uh, um, Bill Menzel. So Jay Pellets is a Jay Pellets is a 57 year old. Um, you know, he's like my solar dad. You know, he's he's a mentor to me in every sense. He was wildly successful doing real estate developing our developments years ago. He ended up getting into the solar game, became a beast in that. Um, you know, and then uh, Bill Menzel. Bill Menzel's a solar veteran. He, he was an installer for many years. He's an electrician. He got into sales. He worked at Momentum Solar. I mean, he's just a, he's a savant in all things solar. And then recently brought on my older brother, um, who's the, I mentioned at the beginning of the call, you know, he's the smart one in the family. Um, I had some things on the business management side that I'm like, dude, I, I just need to focus on what I'm good at. And I get bogged down and I need somebody that's smarter than me, better than me, and that I trust with my life to be able to handle all of this stuff. So I ended up bringing on my brother. So um, that like, I think if there's one lesson anybody wants to take from me, because you know, anybody that knows me real well, or maybe like sold with me, you know, in my, in my career in the past knows like, I'm good. Like, don't get me wrong. I'm good. I'm a good recruiter. I'm a good salesman. Um, I was never the very best or most elite guy. Like that's not me. Um, like, one thing that I think I've done a really good job of is recognizing who's really good and who's elite at something and then getting them in the place so that they can shine and dating back to the first office I ever ran. It's like, once I got, once I got Bo on the team, I could plug Bo in. It's like, okay, Bo can do all of these things. He's better than me at these things. Like, let him do those. We brought in Miguel, we brought in Joe, we brought Jeremy Wicks in the, in the team. Like once we started bringing all these guys in the team, it just started blowing up. And then I look like I'm doing a great job. The fact of the matter is they all do a great job and then you get credit for it, which is kind of bullshit, but you know what? That's how it works. So here, uh, dude, I, I don't know. I mean, I could, I could go on and on, but like Mark Featherstone is one of the greatest sales leaders on planet earth. Like he's somebody that like anybody, anytime, any place, one phone call with Mark Featherstone. And next thing you know, you're out, you're out selling your previous self. You're feeling better. Like, these guys are just, they're elite at what they do. And it makes my job really, really easy. And so. Yeah, for sure. I, so look, looking at all this, right. I think the biggest takeaway from that is, and I know this personally about you, you're just really good at recognizing your blind spots, right? I think you're somebody that's extremely self-aware, you know what you're good at, you know what you're not so great at or decent at, and you're plugging somebody in to cover your blind spot on that side to make sure that you just have a robust leadership team. And that's, that's huge, right? That's the biggest piece of this because you see a lot of these leaders in any industry that feel like they can't delegate because there's nobody better than them. And that inevitably ends up crumbling the organization. So I just commend you from the beginning for going at this and understanding that there's more than enough for everybody because that attitude of abundance is exactly what my entire mission is with this, with this podcast and just grow to gold in general. And I think your leadership team really embodies that. And that all starts with you recognizing that and, and the need for it, because not a lot of people do that. Thanks, man. Thanks. I, I, I would say, um, you know, there's, as a leader, like there's a lot of pressure on you, right? Like you feel like if you're going to go out shadowing somebody in the doors, let's say, well, you have to show them that you're better than them because 
then otherwise they're not going to respect you. Sure. Or if they go shadow you in a, in a home, like you better close that deal. Otherwise they're not going to respect you. Like they have to see that you're better than them. It's like, I actually heard this line um, from one of our managers on a call the, the other day and he was kind of talking about this and I, I corrected him a little bit. I said, I'm like, you know, you don't, you don't have to be better than the people that you're managing. In fact, if you're way better than them at everything, like you're just, you're managing the wrong people, one. Um, but two, like, like that's not your job. You don't have to be better. If the pressure's on you to be better at, than everybody at everything they're supposed it's to be sustainable. Doing, then like, how can you grow? Like we're going to spend, be spending all your time trying to improve at things that you don't even have to do anymore. So the, the real kicker is, okay, you don't have to be better. Like you have to add value to them in their roles. Like you must add value. You don't have to be better. It's okay if you're not better. Like here's the one thing I said was, if you're not better than them, that's okay. They don't need you to be. If you don't add value to them, that's not okay. If they think that you're not better than them and you're not adding value and they're outworking you, now you got yourself into a pickle. But if they know that you're putting forth just the same amount of effort, you're working as hard as they are, if not harder, and you're adding value. So in many ways, like what can you do to add value to the people on your team? And it's not about always showing them exactly how to do something. It's like, no, you just got to move the needle a little bit. So if I'm really good at picking up the phone and saving a deal that's lost, it's like, cool, a couple times a week or a couple times a month, I need to pick up the phone and save a deal for one of my teams. And then boom, I just added some value, put money in their pocket. And all you got to do is make sure that you keep putting money in their pocket somehow. I'm a good recruiter. One thing that I think I am really good at is I think I'm really good at recruiting. If I can get in touch with somebody, if we sit down and talk, like, I think we could find some common ground and I think we could find a way to use you in a way that would unlock doors for you that other people can't unlock. One thing that's cool about this place is we can do literally whatever we want. So, you know, I, I run the show, so I get to make the decisions. If I think something's a good idea, then we can do it. And, you know, I've sat down with a lot of people that had an idea or something about how things were supposed to go that end up coming here and working here that we figure out a way so that they can add value to the business. So like, that's one of my strengths. So if that's one of my strengths and I got a leader who's a better sales trainer and I got a leader who's a better salesperson, then all I got to do is make sure that I help them bag a couple recruits. And if I help them bag a couple recruits, guess what? They just made more money and I helped them make more money. So now we're making each other money. And it's really like you start losing I, I, I think this is, I just see it all the time. You start losing when you're only worried about how much money they're making you and you have to be focused on, you just have to be. If, if that's all you're caring about, then you're going to lose people. They're never going to follow you. You have to ask yourself every single day, how much money am I making this person? Like how much money, how much food am I putting on this person's table? How much, like what am I doing to make their life better? What am I doing to make sure that I'm relevant? And for me personally, like, you know, you mentioned self-awareness, like, yeah, I got, I got some pretty high self-awareness. You know, my, my entire world was shattered uh, as a Mormon missionary, realizing that everything that I believed was true about the world, I didn't believe was true anymore. And so just like this whole, oh shit moment of like, full on, like, how do you reinvent yourself? And how do you like, just, I mean, talk about like inner turmoil, right? Like just, that was one of the hardest things that I'd ever did was come out and tell my family that this isn't, that I'm not, I don't believe in this. And like that in a lot of ways shaped me to the person that I am today, where now, like, I don't know, I'm not really afraid of, of being rejected or I'm not really being, I'm not afraid of being found out. Like I, I just live an authentic life. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking for ways where I can be myself and if myself can add a little value here or do something for somebody there, like I'm just trying to plug those holes and I'm aware of the fact that I'm not the greatest at everything and I'm not the greatest this or that or the other. And I don't know, I, I've just, I've been turned off to be honest by leaders who think too highly of themselves and so I try not to think too highly of myself and just remember that I'm just a dude. Like I'm just some dude that wakes up every single day and I'm good at some things and I'm not good at some things and I make mistakes and I do stupid things and I do some good things and I'm really lucky to be here. I think, you know, 
let, let me just send everybody off to if we're getting close to that time, but um, just uh, I think one secret to success here, if I could pinpoint one, is an awareness of the fact that you're lucky. Like you didn't make everything happen for yourself. Like you just didn't. I'm sorry. Like you might be the greatest in the world, but the timing of your circumstances, who you met along the way, the words that somebody put in for you to get you an opportunity, the parents that you had that raised you, like the time and place that you are born, the, I mean, anything, the color of your skin, your gender, like there's so many things that sometimes you just, you draw the, the long straw and sometimes you draw the short straw. I've recognized that I'm a guy that's been in the right place at the right time a couple of times. And because of that, uh, I take very seriously the opportunity that I have to lead people because I know that I might not, I'm, I don't know if I'm even supposed to be here. I just know that for some reason, like I kind of didn't choose this. It chose me in a way. And so if I take that and just let it feed my own ego and let it, let me think or try and convince everybody that the only reason this is going well is because I did it. It's like, that's so dumb. And it's just disingenuine. And honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's insecure of people to think that like, make no mistake right now. If I never met Brett Bushy, this doesn't happen. Okay. I couldn't create this on my own. No way. There's no way. Brett is a guy that gifted me an opportunity. And so here we are. And there's a lot of people benefiting from it. And I want to make sure there's a lot of people benefiting from it from a lot for a long time. Um, but I think that's one of the biggest things that if I could preach to everybody, it's like, man, take a look at who gifted you some opportunities, who gifted you a role, who was, who was your friend, what type of uh, nepotism have you benefited from? Like, make no mistake, we've all been lucky, we've all had opportunities that, you know what, sometimes you just, you get lucky. And then if you do something good with that, hats off to you. But if you take that and just try and pretend that you're the man or tell everybody how much better you are than them, it's like, I just, I don't, I don't buy that. I don't buy that. So, so for you, leadership is really how many people can you take along, take along with you for the ride and how much better can their lives be as a result of that? I mean, you know what? I, I've told a lot of people that come in the door that we might only work together for uh, two weeks and I'm okay with that. And you might quit in six months and I'm okay with that too. And you might work with us for a year. We might work together for 20 years. I would love that. Don't get me wrong. but. Uh, one thing that I'm going to make certain of is that when you go somewhere else or you move on, because inevitably, I think it's, I think it's silly to think that we're all just going to work together and sing Kumbaya forever for the next 20 years. Like that's probably not the case, but I'm going to make certain that, uh, anytime something's not going well, I'm going to be somebody that's going to be a phone call that they make. And I'm going to be somebody that they look back on and think, oh, I want to emulate that. Or oh, I really like the way Riley did that. Or, oh, Riley treated this well this way. Or, oh, you know, he was honest with me. He was up front. He took care of me, you know. I think uh, so people coming along for the ride, like, yeah, I, I want people coming along for the ride. But not everybody's going to come along for the whole ride. And a lot of people sure. are going to jump off. And I just want to be somebody that uh, when, when they, uh, you know, when our – so something uh, – Something that was really, I'm, I'm going off, I'm, this is the same train of thought here, but um, I just went to a funeral on Saturday and one of our, one of our reps died and it was heart, absolutely heartbreaking. I cried all week. We had our all hands call on Friday. I bawled like a baby in front of the whole team. Um, and uh, I went to the funeral on, on Saturday night and I walked past the casket and that was brutal. And then I walked over to, uh, his name was David, and I walked over to David's mom, and I gave David's mom a hug. And then she sat there and told me uh, how grateful she was uh, for me, and that David spoke really highly of me, and that he was inspired by what he did every day, and that um, he was happy with his work and with his life, and that she was just grateful for that culture. And she was grateful that uh, his boys got to sit in on some of our, we do calls, you know, via zoom and his boys would be in the background sometime. And she's like, she just expressed a lot of gratitude for that. And like, that is what, like, I don't care how long somebody's on for the ride. The ride's going to end for different people at different times, but I just want to be somebody 
that when someone goes home and tells their mom about what they do, or somebody goes home and tells their wife about what they do, they talk about how great, how, how good of things that we're doing and how good we are to people and how strong our culture is and how like we really do care. And so that was really uh, validating because that's something I, I try really, really hard to do is make sure that people feel like uh, somebody cares for them and somebody cares for them from the top level of this company that if shit hits the fan, they can call me and I'll pick up the phone and I will care. And if they need to get better at their job, they can call me and I will put in the time. And if there's a real problem, they can call me and I'll figure out what the issue is and I'll put in time to fix it. And like, that's who I want to be. So, uh, and you know, what's, what's funny is I don't think it's that hard to be that way. Hmm. Well, this was super powerful. So my question to you is Riley, cause I have no doubt that somebody listened to this, whether they're at another company, they're new to the industry, they're thinking about a job change here going into the new year in 2022 and 10, 11 days from now, where can somebody find you? Where can they connect further with you? How do they get more Riley Traveler in their life? Um, I didn't have Facebook until like a year and a half ago. I like re relaunched my Facebook page. I'm not big on, like, I think I have a LinkedIn. I haven't logged on in like 90 days probably. Um, so you can, you can find me on Facebook, Riley Traveler, just like it sounds. Um, you could find me there. That's probably the best way. If you, you know, if you never met me before, go add me as a friend, shoot me a message. If you like, that'd be awesome. I'd, I'd be happy to, to chat with anybody. So. I love it. Well, thank you so much for this. I mean, ultimately this was a rock solid conversation. I have no doubt. I personally took a ton from this and I have no doubt that somebody listening to this, whoever you are, you got some gold nuggets from this conversation. So Riley, we look forward to seeing what you're personally going to do and what Boundless is going to do here in 2022. I have no doubt you're going to continue to grow this thing and impact a ton of people's lives along the way. So thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Grow to Gold podcast. If you haven't yet subscribed, please make sure you do so so you never miss another episode. And we look forward to checking you next time on the Grow to Gold podcast. Take care and have a great day.